Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. As you can hear, we are on location today at the NAM Show in Anaheim, California. My thanks to Tascam for having me out once again this year as we did last year. Go back and listen to episodes 156 to 167, all of which were recorded here. And we're joined today on this episode on location of Now Hear This Entertainment by Joey DeFrancesco, all the way from Philadelphia, clear across the country. That's right. That's where I'm originally from. And uh, we started off with a song of yours called Better Than Yesterday. Tell the listeners about that song that we were just playing. Well, it's on my latest record, uh, Project Freedom, and um, the title kind of says it all, you know, better than yesterday. Make each day better than the next, you know, that kind of vibe. And you are described as blues, jazz, and R&B slash soul. And uh, listeners, if you're just being introduced to Joey for the first time, he is both an organist and trumpeter. To me, um, sounds like a a unnatural connection. Uh, am, am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, I think in most cases that is a awkward uh, instrument. You know, if you play it, usually you play, okay, you play a, a piano, an organ, a drum, something like that. But... I, I got interested in the trumpet uh, when I was playing with Miles Davis. So I was going to ask you the chicken and egg thing. Which came first, the organ or the trumpet? Definitely the organ. When I was four years old, I started playing. Wow, wow. And I believe, uh, I believe it was influenced by your father having played organ as well uh, nationally, and he received the Oklahoma Jazz Hall of Fame's Living Legend Award. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, because my dad was... Um, playing around in Philadelphia and New Jersey. He played basically the tri-state area, Philly, Delaware, Jersey. And um, we had an organ in the house, but it wasn't always in the house because he would get long gigs. He would be on a gig sometimes for three years, which was great because that's a heavy instrument to move. So they'd get a gig and plant the instrument there. So before I was four, I did have a small toy piano. I started tinkling on that. But when the organ came home, because he had a little hiatus from gigs, that's when I was like, wow, what's this big thing? I, I was four, and I just loved it. It's my favorite toy then and still is. See, and likewise, when I grew up, my father always had an organ in the house. Really? And so I understand. I think there's, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's probably people who are listening who are saying, why are they saying organ and why are they not saying piano? Because it's an organ. <laughs> it's but, an but, but educate, organ. yeah, educate listeners on the difference because, especially saying the tri-state area, I'm I'm wanting, to, I'm tempted to say you had to you had to be a Billy Joel fan, you had to be influenced by Billy Joel. But Billy Joel's a piano man, no pun intended. Right. Well, I was influenced. Of course, I I like Billy Joel. First thing that made me want to play was hearing old '50s R&B records with piano, like Fast Domino and things like that. And but once I got in front of the organ. I went crazy. I mean, I, I love the sound, and they're different. You know, you're talking about an electric instrument, you know, um, a very light touch. It's a very big, organic, no pun intended on words, <laughs> sound. It's a spiritual sound, too. You know, you think about it. I mean, that's why the instrument, I believe, was chosen for church for centuries, you know. 
because of the way it feels. It's got a very human. I mean, all instruments do in a way, right? I mean, because humans are playing, you know. But the organ's got a very soulful sound that people really can re- relate to on a lot of levels. The further that you got into it, were you ever discouraged by the fact that, well, wait a minute, maybe I should pick up something more portable, like the trumpet, that's easy to transport around? Because you're right in saying that your father, you know, you don't, you don't have a lot of guys have multiple guitars. You don't have a whole bunch of organs around because, well, I'll leave <laughs> one at the house, I bring one on tour, I have another one over at the studio. Well, that sounds nice, but I have about a dozen of them at home. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm wow. kind of a collector, too. Wow. And a lot of guys aren't. But at the time, most players, they had one instrument. It mm-hmm. wasn't, like you said, it wasn't feasible to have a lot of different organs or things like that. And they didn't have the portable situations that they have nowadays. These were full-blown instruments that were 350 pounds, 400 wow. pounds. Wow. And you had to get a truck and a van. It was like, it was a whole event when the organ had to be moved you know everybody in the neighborhood wanted to help it was like you know it's a big deal but um when i was you know i was so young i didn't nothing about it intimidated me you know you just you don't as a kid because you don't realize you're not aware of intimidation yeah so i started playing it and and i i was listening to like jimmy smith records and you know all the organ players all the records at home watching my dad and I would he worked during the day as well and uh, when when he was at work I would be home practicing you know and it didn't take long for I could I had some licks together like from listening to the records you were you were teaching yourself or your dad was teaching you or how, how what was well, your, your learning curve at first I kind of was teaching myself by ear but once he saw you know how serious I was he never pushed kind of let me have fun with it he guided me in the right directions. Listen to this, the do's and don'ts, do nots, and things about the organ that are very important. Not necessarily notes and things, but how you set it, what you do with certain controls, wow. all these things. That's what he really it was a very integral part of my learning was that. Um, but really, learning how to play and things was more from listening, watching, you know, at a very easy going pace that I could enjoy as a kid because you could easily get discouraged if somebody pushes you to Yeah, when I was a teenager, my parents hired an organ teacher who came to the house and she would sit with me, but she wouldn't, you know, she would teach me the obvious things, notes and things like that, but not the things that you're, the intangibles that your dad was saying, look, you need to know about these settings, you need to know about things that a teacher's not going to, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say it sounds like early on you knew that this is what you wanted to do, but in fact, at age 10, you joined a band in Philadelphia that included jazz musicians Hank Mobley and, and Philly Joe Jones. Yeah, that's pretty uh, intense when yeah. I think about it now. But at 10. At that point, I was playing for six years, and, you know, I was really serious about it. I mean, that was what I did. I mean, I was a kid. I still had a big wheel and things like that. I would go outside. <laughs> but mostly what I wanted to do was sit down and play the organ. You know, it would get to the point where my mom and dad would tell me to stop, you know, go outside, go play with your <laughs> friends, do something else. I just wanted to play with the organ all the time. I loved it so much. So I started to get known around Philadelphia. This kid, it really started with me going and sitting in on my dad's gigs. That's how it all started. And people started to hear about me and things. And it led to playing with some of the major jazz figures in Philadelphia. Yeah, I was wondering how that happened because I'm assuming this was at a time when there wasn't the proliferation of YouTube and social media and things like that where people hear about, oh, there's this 10-year-old kid who he's a phenom or 8 years old or however young that you might have been. Yeah. So it sounds like you were getting exposed to more and more people 
Exactly. By going yeah, around with your I dad. I was born in 71, so I was eight in 1979. So, <laughs> yes, there was no internet, no, none of these things weren't around uh, at that time. So, I was, uh, it was more natural, you know, to be around and sitting in and going to places. And if there were jam sessions, my, my folks would take me so I could sit in and people started to find out about me. And that's, that's how it happened. But now I feel like times have changed because, and, and maybe it's because of shows like American Idol and The Voice, et cetera. But it seems like nowadays parents, and, and I think I'm building up to advice from you. It, it seems like parents are rushing their kids in sooner and saying, look, you sound like you have something. We really need to go all in with this. Because back in your day, you know, it was... Uh, he's having fun. Good for him. He's staying out of trouble. We would like it if he'd go outside and play a little bit more. But it sounds to me like if a parent recognizes that, and this is where I always say, you need to get the opinion of an uninterested third party because parents mm-hmm. are always going to say that their kid is the best. Of course. Um, but it sounds like at some point somebody recognized that, okay, Joey really <laughs> is good. This isn't just parents talking. He, Yeah, and, and that was the thing. My parents never did that. They didn't. I just played. They figured. I look at back on that now. I mean, they were very, very encouraging and positive, but they didn't do a big promotion on me. My dad probably figured he can play. People are going to notice. You know, he knew I was serious. He didn't have to tell me to practice. And uh, but they brought me to jam sessions. I sat in with him. That's how I. I got to be known. He knew if I was ready or not. And okay. he wasn't telling people, look how great my son is. And okay. these were legitimate jam sessions. Of course, when I'd walk up, you know, you'd like, s- s- write the list, your name that you're going to sit in. And, and I'd walk up there. People were like, wait a minute. This kid's going <laughs> to sit in? And then when I would play it, wow, okay, he can do something, you know. So it happened very naturally. Where I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure now because of social media and a lot of you know the pop stars and the stat it's just a and shows a like American Idol and The Voice exactly and um, if somebody shows some promise and has some talent and they get recognized you know in their wherever their environment and local situation then they see these things on TV and they it's okay if they want to go for it but you know somebody should really make sure they're ready for and because it's disappointing too sometimes and it, it you have to be really strong you know and i've never been a fan of competitions and things like that because competition's always going to be there and t- and competition is good uh. if it's positive you know but you shouldn't think about if if five people are going to be in here and you win does it mean the fourth person was not as good or yeah, or well just said. different well said and they moved people in a different way you know it's, it's well just to advance things along then in your timeline at, at 16 years old and, and this sounds like when I would go in and talk to college classes I would tell the students your, your professor's not going to like hearing me say this but I'm a bad example it doesn't happen this way I graduated from college and where I was interning they offered me a job right on the spot D- yes. don't expect that and in right. your case at age 16 you got your first record deal with Columbia Records yes. which doesn't really happen it doesn't I mean and when I when I talk to anybody about this it's like if you had to write down, you know, how how you'd like things to go, I mean, you know, I've been very fortunate early on with, and I think it's because of things naturally happening. I think if you're serious about what you do and 
you play everywhere that you can, as much as you can, and really work on your craft, that you're going to be noticed eventually. But, I mean, there's a lot of people that, that it doesn't happen like that for as easily. But you have to think about the steps you have to take as a goal and, and stay at it, and you know. But, yes, a lot of things. But I worked very hard up to that point. You know, when I was 16... I had been playing for, for a long time. But did somebody notice you from Columbia Records? How did that actually come well, to yeah, be? Well, yeah, because I was in the Thelonious Monk piano competition, the first one. So I started playing piano when I was around 10 because when I attended a music school, they didn't have Hammond organs. So I had to start learning piano. And, of course, keyboard is the same, but it's a different approach. So I started playing piano, so I played two instruments at that point. So I entered into this Lonely Spunk piano competition when I was 16, and the vice president of Columbia Records was there. Wow. He was emceeing. Wow. But there's an interesting fact to that, too, because even though I was playing piano, my heart was still always the organ, sure. right? So I played, I, be, I topped, and there was like a lot of, there was like, I think there was 30... Uh, semi-finalist then there was five finalists I was one of the five and uh, and I met George Butler who was the VP of jazz for Columbia and he was very cool but you know there's a million piano players yeah you know and the organ kind of took a back seat at that point for a number of years as a, a viable leading instrument in jazz so I said Dr. Butler I mean, nice to meet you and he said, uh, yeah, keep in touch, you know, kind of, he was just being polite. Mm -hmm. So I, I I took that as, you know, go home, go in the studio, play the organ and send a, a demo tape. So I did that and then um, I sent it and I called his office and his secretary very nicely said, yes, we received your tape and uh, uh, thanks for sending it. You know, one of those things, not, yeah. nothing, nothing like Nothing with any real promise to it. Yeah, and that was... That was just before Christmas break in 1987 for school. So I think it was maybe December 22nd, something like that. Well, and and the thing is, and this is where it's that being fortunate comes in, because a million tapes a day get sent to executives. Oh yeah. oh and yeah. they, they, a lot of them go straight into the garbage. Yep. Because I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've been in offices where they said, okay, I got to clear my desk off. You know? <laughs> I'm like, wow. But for whatever reason, he listened to my tape. He called me Christmas Eve. No kidding. Extremely excited because he had no idea. I was playing the organ and he just thought, wow, this is you know, this young kid playing the organ in this very soulful style. You know, he's 16 years old. This instrument has kind of taken a back seat. This would spark the interest in a whole other idiom. It'd be like a new renaissance for the instrument. So he called Christmas Eve. He said, don't make any moves. I want to sign you to Columbia Records. Wow. I'll call you right after wow. the first year. We'll send you a contract. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, this is like unbelievable, you know? Your dad grabs the phone. Who is this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are exactly. you saying to my son? Is this really true? Wow, that's amazing. You, uh, As you started to say earlier, you picked up on the trumpet. Um, after you toured with Miles Davis, for Pete's sake, one of the two youngest players ever recruited for any of his ensembles. It was a five-week concert tour in Europe. How old were you then? 17. Amazing. So all these things happened. You know, then my first record for Columbia, 
Miles Davis called me. You know, all this happened like at the same time. Now, how does that happen? How does Miles Davis call you? Okay, well, there's another situation being, I was in Philadelphia and they were bringing Miles Davis to interview him on this local morning television show. Mm -hmm. So I was part of what they call the All City Philadelphia Jazz Trio, which was myself, Christian McBride played bass, and the drummer's name was a, a young girl the name of Stacy Dozier. So we were just to play like background music on the show while Miles got interviewed, you know, in and out of the commercials. And they also brought four young trumpet players, which was a disaster, to play for Miles and have him critique each one. <laughs> Bad move. They figured that out after the first one. The first kid played. They even gave him the nickname a little Miles. I couldn't believe it. Oh, boy. And they said, the first thing the, the talk host asked, how's he sound, Miles? And Miles said, he knows how he sounds. He needs to practice. <laughs> so he didn't ask that question anymore. But the, the last guy that played was actually a great trumpet player. And he was gracious enough to give me one chorus intro on a blues. I took one chorus of a blues, and that's how I got hired by Miles Amazing, Davis. amazing. Yeah, so after the show, he took my phone number. But he called me almost uh, like a half a, ye half a year later, like six months later. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was summer of 1988. September of 1988, I was on the road with Miles. So you were 17, and then a year later when you were 18, you began touring with your own quartet. Exactly. I actually started, yeah, 18 is when it really, you know, my, my first record came out, Columbia. I started touring, and, um, you know, then I had to quit Miles Band because the record company had planned a lot of promo things for me, and that was a very hard decision. Uh, and I talked to Miles about it. He understood. He wasn't happy about it. You know, he didn't really want to want me to leave when he knew that I had to do did he uh, did he try to advise you in a helpful way or was he trying to talk you out of it from a selfish perspective no nah, no nah, he was cool he, he he knew I had to do what I had to do it, having you know hindsight I probably sh would have thought about it a little more I was young and I was being advised I probably would have just stayed with it wouldn't have hurt me to stay because he would do tours and there would be breaks, and I could have done other things during those breaks. But, you know, it is how it is, and it worked out how it did. And forever I will be stamped with that uh, wonderful uh, uh, marking and of how? Miles Davis. And we got to be very close, and that's what, why interest came to play the trumpet. And I didn't tell him I was playing, and I saw him one time, and I told him I was, and he handed me this horn and said, let me hear you. And I started playing, and he, he was very encouraging. He said, you sound just like me. And uh, so that's made me want to keep playing. You know? Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is, if you're being interviewed on the radio or on a podcast and the host asks, how can people get in touch with you if they want to book you to perform at their club or event? Don't give out a phone number. 
most listeners are not in a position to write it down, and they're not going to come back to the interview later to try to find when and where you gave it out. And don't come back to me with, no, I've actually got one that's really easy to remember. If the listener is working out at the gym or driving or out for a run, they're not going to remember it whenever they get back. If it's TV, sure, they can put it up on the screen. Same thing with YouTube. And in a print article, they can put the number. But for radio or podcasts, give out a website address. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. I am on location at the Anaheim Convention Center at the NAM Show. My thanks to Tascam for having me out again this year. Uh, actually recording this interview with the Tascam DR44WL and uh, post-production will be done on this episode using the Tascam Track Factory and uh, wearing Tascam headphones right now. Um, if you haven't yet, please check them out online at Tascam.com. My guest is Joey DeFrancesco. Check out his website, do it joeydefrancesco.com. We will have a link to his website on the show page for this episode on nhte.net. And then also, social media-wise, he is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so do engage with him online as well. And, boy, this, this list is just amazing. Listeners, Joey has recorded and or toured with his own groups, as we started to talk about, as well as, I'm not going to go through the whole list because this is <laughs> really lengthy, but just um, immensely impressive. Ray Charles, Bette Midler, Diana Krall. George Benson. I'm being selfish and picking out the ones that I like. David Sanborn. Uh, George Benson alone. It, it, for me personally, it begins and ends with George Benson. Yeah. I mean, these these all have to just be experiences that you'll never forget, but probably also it's probably impossible to pick out one highlight because I'm sure they're all very memorable. Exactly. And, you know, they're all a little bit different. Each situation is great in its own particular way you know that's that's a heck of a list and as i said listeners there's there's others on that list too uh you can read more when you go to to joey's website um you played 200 plus nights a year throughout the course of your career you cut back on that um now that we're into 2018 it would be five years ago is it just because that gets to be a lot yeah you know and and it's you know when you say cut down, you know, it probably went from 200 to 160. Okay. Or maybe 120, but, you know, and as your career grows, you could do less, you know, and it still works out. You know? Yeah, because I'm sure there are listeners who are up-and-coming musicians that hear that and say, why did he cut back? I would love to do 200 nights a year. I'd love to do 225, you know, because mm-hmm. they just see the work and, and what they think is the excitement. And, you know, especially if you're playing in Europe, you're playing with all kinds of different people which have different challenges it takes its toll on you yeah I think I could play 365 days a year if I could play a couple blocks in a you know, in a place near my house but it's the travel, 
you know, I always say we get paid to travel, not to play. <laughs> you play for 90 minutes, that's nothing but pure pleasure. But everything that goes on before that and after that is that's the that's the hard part, you know, getting on planes and not getting enough sleep, you know. And but you know, the excitement getting to the gig, I'm always still very excited to play. So that helps you get through all these things. But your body is your body, and you know, you can tell it all you want. I'm fine, I'm fine. It gets sometimes you got to get some rest. So it's good to be able to to do that from time to time. Yeah, it's not unlike coming here, and for those of us on the East Coast, we're all of a sudden coming to a three-hour time difference, and that in itself you know, brings its own challenges, that if you're playing shows night after night and you're crossing time zones. Yeah, I mean, I just got off a two-week tour. I flew out to Phoenix Monday, where we have a home in Phoenix, uh, very early from D.C., and then mm-hmm. I was here Wednesday morning. So, And then I go from here you know, to California Saturday night. I mean, not California. We're in California <laughs> to New York <laughs> City Saturday night. Yeah, and uh, a good segue there because, um, listeners, as we record this, uh, Joey is a current Grammy nominee for Best Jazz Instrumental Album, Project Freedom, seven original tracks and songs by everyone from Sam Cooke to John Lennon. Uh, that had to be a fun project to do. It's a, it's a very fun project, and my my band, the people that's on there, uh, played so great. It was my vision. It's really me and my wife, manager, Gloria's vision. You know, to the record, the title is obvious, Project Freedom, and then the songs that are on it and what each one of them mean. It's just very simply, to put it very simply, to spread positivity across the universe. The music speaks for itself, you know. The uh, the Grammy nomination um, is not your first four-time Grammy Award nominee. Your first nomination was in uh, 2004, but I imagine that the fourth time was probably as rewarding, fulfilling, exciting as the first time. Absolutely. You know, it's a very, you know, huge honor to be nominated. It, it takes a lot for that to happen. It doesn't happen every day, you know, and and uh, just to get to that point is already incredible, you know. Uh, and yeah, this is the fourth time, but maybe the fourth time's a charm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, there's there's not a whole. It's like there's there's certain professions that you can look at and you say it's a small fraternity. There's there's only a, a handful of people that can say you know insert profession here, and there's only a handful of people that could say they were nominated for a absolutely. grammy award that's that's why it's like no matter what it's a huge honor yeah um, absolutely uh you were also honored in 2014 you were inducted into the inaugural hammond organ all of fame and uh two years later the philadelphia music walk of fame it, it sounds like you're a very loyal even though you said you have a house in arizona it sounds like you're a very loyal philadelphian of course i love philadelphia um that's that's where i come from that's my roots and they were very great to me, and that Walk of Fame meant a lot to me. I mean, means a lot to me. It's actually, you know, it's basically like Hollywood Boulevards, you know, with the stars mm-hmm. in the in the ground. It's what it is. It's a plaque with my name on it, right in front of the Kimmel Music Center too. Wow! The front doors. It's a huge honor, you know. And 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 the people that are there, the other names that are there, it's like incredible to be there. It's one of my biggest honors. It's it's interesting. I don't know what it is, but something about your story, and maybe it's the Northeast and the fact that we mentioned Billy Joel, um, Mike Del Judas, 
was my guest on this show in episode 150. Listeners, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to Mike and his story. Uh, he plays guitar on tour with Billy Joel, but has a very Long Island-based, still loyal to that area, still plays his Billy Joel tribute band in Long Island that got him to playing with Billy in the first place, although that, that group does tour. Um, so it's nice to see you know, someone like yourself, Joey, that is having all this success nationally, internationally, but you're still very loyal to your home market and where, you know, and where, where it all where started. Come from, you know, and that's important. Uh, so as of January 2017, your current working trio includes guitarist Dan Wilson and drummer Jason Brown. So is that for recording and touring? Yes. However, in September, the only difference, I still have Dan Wilson. Troy Roberts was on tenor saxophone. He's on Project Freedom. He was an addition in, uh, that came on in 2017. The trio went from that to a quartet. And I have a different drummer now as of September 2017, Michael O'Day. You topped the critics' polls in Downbeats magazine 11 times over the past 15 years, and the readers' polls every year since 2005. Different from what we were talking about with the Grammys, still when that happens so many times, I just feel like someone at the level that you're at, the temptation is to kind of go, oh boy, again, oh wow, that's really nice, and you move on with your day. But at the same point, I'm tempted to say that to someone that's had the level of success that you had, but meeting you, you seem very humble that probably every single time you probably go, wow, really? Me again? No, definitely. It's always a big honor. You know, every de- every year when that happens, I mean, the the readers poll that many times and and... Critics, I think the critics poll is even more than 11 times now. That needs to be updated. <laughs> but um, but it, it, it's a huge honor. I mean, you know, it, there, you know, the organ is, is a, a unique instrument. You know, before me, the main guy for many years was Jimmy Smith, jazz organist. He won the Downbeat Readers and Critics Poll for 38 years oh, in a row. Boy, oh boy. And, I was, and, and I was the first one to... First time it wasn't him. Yeah, you know, and um, that was pretty, pretty crazy, and and it, and and that's how it's been now for a while. So yeah, it's it's new every time. It's like, man, this is so awesome, you know. Well, because what I want the listeners who are up and comers to hear from this is, you know, never take these awards uh, for granted, but also, you know, you should never have that air of, well, it better be me. No, you, it, right, and and the thing is, is that even if it's not, or it doesn't mean that you know you always there's you always have a huge significance as a, as a musician or whatever your profession is. Everybody matters of what they're doing, especially if you're true to your to yourself and what you're doing, and you really love what you're doing. It's not about all the accolades; those are amazing. That's like they're honors, right? But if I wasn't winning these things, if I didn't have the level of success that I did, I'd still be playing music. It, it would, and I would still be just as serious about it, practicing, trying to learn different things. I would not be doing anything else, and I wouldn't be upset that I wasn't Hall of Fame or winning Grammys or, uh, because it, it's, it's about art and love and doing it. At the same time, I'm very, very... Uh, grateful for the the levels of success that I have you know Um, but at the same time 
it shouldn't that should it's good to have those goals i mean that, of course when you're young you have those goals. i want to be famous and i yeah. want you know that's but when you really start getting into the art of music and learning about the people that you admire too like john coltrane and miles davis yeah they were huge stars and they they had incredible careers but the music always came first they were going to do that regardless of what people or the media you know the media is is a tough situation you know um especially in the jazz world you know it's the, it's a small piece of the music industry right um so you know that that part is can be discouraging sometimes or but you got to keep playing keep doing your thing and taking the necessary steps and it goes without saying that if you're only doing it because you're trying to win awards or you're trying to be noticed by the media then you probably need to adjust your focus yeah because there's going to be a lot of a lot of disappointment you you Mm. don't want to live like that well said well said wow 2018 (laughs) you've got you've got quite a year here just in these opening months alone, uh, Washington, D.C., and, and uh, here in California this month, February, down in Miami, uh, in Poland, <laughs> the country, mm-hmm. and then in Ohio. March, you're going to be in New York, Boston, and Switzerland. So it doesn't sound to me like you're slowing down. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's very hectic at the moment. We were talking about that the other day. So it doesn't seem like I have a lot to do, but I have a lot to do. <laughs> um, but it's it's all very... Uh, good thing it's like even here uh being at, at nam i'm uh introducing a signature signature model organ for the viscount organ company it's an italian company they've been around since forever and um and i was here to do that but then i got a call to go do a pbs tv special with chris Bodie. so i wow. have to do that in the evening now so now wow. it's like everything's happening very a lot of things fantastic. always a lot of things going on fantastic so. uh signature um, organ, meaning, is it a Joey DiFrancesco? Yes. Wow, yeah. wow. And the company is Viscount, and um, they've made church organs for many years, like big church installations. And for the last year, they introduced a uh, it's a tone wheel. Uh, it reproduces the sound of a, a like a, a vintage tone wheel Hammond organ. And it sounds amazing, and it's lightweight and portable, and it, it's makes it a lot easier for people to have something like this if you want to be an organist to move it around you know listeners before we have joey talk about the closing song i want to mention that um if you enjoy listening to him on this interview you can also listen to him hosting a weekly program on sirius xm's sirius xm radio's real jazz channel yes every friday uh 7 p.m eastern standard time uh, how long is the show? Uh, it's called Organized. One hour. features all jazz-oriented uh, organ music. Um, it's on Sundays as well. I've been doing it for three years now. Outstanding. Well, we're going to close today with a song of yours called The Unifier. So before we let you go, just tell the listeners uh, about this song that they're about to hear. Well, it, the song, uh, the title, Unifier, it obviously means unifying the universe, uh, you know, all humans, human beings, you know, everybody becoming one and loving one another. And the it, song goes through different movements, showing how the music is unified, you know, different time signatures, different parts. And I also use the wah-wah pedal on the organ to give it kind of like a different kind of speaking sound. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much and it. And is this from Project Freedom? It is. 
Very good. Well, uh, Joey, thank you ever so much. Um, congratulations on all your success, and uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for making time for this. Thank you. My pleasure. Listeners, that'll do it for this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to my guest, Joey DeFrancesco. Do visit his official website, joeydefrancesco.com. As I mentioned, we will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do engage with him online. Let him know that you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. And, of course, any questions, comments, compliments about the show you can email nhte or excuse me podcast at nhte.net that's a podcast at nhte.net that'll do it from here at the anaheim convention center the 2018 winter nam show my thanks again to Tascam for the opportunity to be here we'll close you out with the song that joey just talked about of his called the unifier I'm